the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel presents us with a beautiful scene of the Lord speaking to the peoples and many, many, many were gathering. They were in the thousands and they were so numerous that they were treading on one another. It was like a stampede. The rush of people, tightening of the crowd more and more, some maybe suffocating. And Luke tells us, Jesus began to speak, first of all, to his disciples. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. That is their hypocrisy. He wants them to be leery of the Pharisees because hypocrisy is like yeast that grows and grows. It starts small, but it continues affecting the rest of the mass around it. Everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. For this reason, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in hidden places will be proclaimed on housetops. To you, my friends, I say, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. I will tell you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Can you not buy five sparrows for two pennies? And yet not one is forgotten in God's sight. Why, every hair on your head has been counted. There's no need to be afraid. You are worth more than a hundred sparrows. As we hear these words, we, we have to picture that crowd around him, all vying for the same thing, all trampling on one another like that stampede. Why was the Lord such a draw? Why did he appeal so much to people, these simple people in particular? What made him so attractive? Well, you know, of course, he healed people, he performed miracles, but it's in particular, when he spoke about this hypocrisy, be on your guard against the Pharisees, especially their hypocrisy, he said. Well, these Pharisees were used to a kind of a double life, this kind of lack of integrity. They were men who knew the law. They knew what Moses had said. They had known all the prophecies. But the thing is that they weren't transformed by all those divine words, those events. They read the law. They knew it. They were probably very accurate in memorizing the words of Moses himself. But it didn't seem to have an effect on their integrity, on their honesty, on their truthfulness. It did not transform them. 
it didn't really penetrate their hearts. And that behavior, that is to see somebody who's been in contact with the Word of God, somebody who's been in contact with the truth, but is not effective or is not affected by that contact, well, that fact is very, very damaging. So the Lord told them, be aware of that. Be aware of that hypocrisy. Because perhaps the common conclusion that one could come to upon seeing these Pharisees, these people who knew the law, was that if somebody knows the law, if somebody knows the word of God, and is not truly affected by it, well then, maybe the law is to blame. Maybe the law is faulty. Maybe the law is not the law of God. Because if it wasn't the law of God, they would be affected, you might think. And those people might have thought. They might have thought, well, that means that the law does not really have the power to transform, to change someone. And it's a reasonable conclusion. That's what we call scandal. You are scandalized when the poor behavior of somebody else makes you do something either analogous or makes you lose confidence in the Word of God itself. That's scandal. The Lord counted on their freedom. Their freedom to understand that one thing is the law, the other thing is the freedom of these Pharisees to integrate it or not. But the Lord counted also on their freedom to live with that integrity, that truth. It, of course, is true today as well. There are many lapsed Catholics around that will, they don't practice, they don't believe the gospel, they don't believe in the church, and they will often blame priests or some religious figure of some kind, uh, their lack of integrity. They, they, oh, they, one priest told me this, another priest told me that, and... Uh, and that's why I don't practice. They will tell you. They don't usually tell it to me, but because I'm a priest, so <laughs> so they don't usually say it to me. But I mean, I even have heard it said. One time, when I was a young girl, a priest said to me, "Da da 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 da." And in fact, it might seem quite understandable, and it's actually a reason, fairly reasonable argument. We can see it's reasonable, but ultimately it's not. It's not really a cogent argument. Because there is, after all, the communion of saints, right? These are the heroes of the faith, those examples, these stellar examples that lived the gospel, and that fact that they lived that integrity, that they lived the gospel, that they lived all those virtues in line with the teaching of the church, in line with the teaching of the gospel, well, that makes the gospel very credible. I mean, the example of the saints is one of the motives of credibility of the truth of, of the church. Because there were martyrs. Like, how can martyrs die for something that is not true? Or how can so many saints live such a life of integrity in front of something that was actually not true? And through the centuries, there have always been saints. Their lives are like a motive of credibility. It's what we call the communion of saints, they support us by their lives of, that are irreproachable. And so we can say they make the gospel lovable, they make Christ approachable. You know, when you think, why do I approach Christ? Why do I approach the church? Well, very often we have in our mind a model, somebody who uh, was like an example to us, 
a saint, a story of some great saint. They were like mediators for us. And of course, it is true, this doctrine of the communion of saints. But what is not often mentioned is the communion of sinners. There is a communion of sinners. And we can be impacted and influenced by bad customs around us, bad examples, bad habits of those around us, or even just societal customs. We must not think that we are somehow you know, uh, unapproachable, that we can't be affected in some way by, by the society that we live in. That's why I suppose the Lord was saying, you know, be aware, be aware of the Pharisees. They can have a, uh, you know, a toxic influence on you. So be aware. And the Lord knows all about this veil of hypocrisy that he points out. What is that anyway? What, what is hypocrisy? When does it happen to me? When, when does it take place? What exactly is it? Why were these Pharisees full of this hypocrisy? Well, we know hypocrisy is when you do things not so much because they are truly good and worthy or virtuous or because they make you good, but because of the reaction you might garner in others and that they think you're good. Like you, you give more importance to the impression you make on others and that they esteem you and they like you because they think that you're good. And you give more importance to what others think of you than the fact that you're actually somehow actually becoming better, growing, becoming more virtuous. I mean, when your main concern is external appearance, what others think of you, the impression you might make, when that ultimately is the gauge that gives you greater value, that begins to enter into the realm of hypocrisy because you're good at building that facade, the impression. And it's important we recognize when that happens in our life, and it happens to all of us. It's not just these distant Pharisees. It happens to all of us. Because everybody likes to be, you know, give a good impression. Everybody likes any form of adulation or just you know, a nice nod of the head and, oh, wow, yeah, you're, oh, you're so good. And where do I give importance to what others think about me? Where, do, where does it actually happen? Am I aware when that happens? The way I dress, the way, the way I speak, am I doing that because I, I want, you know, I want them to, I don't want them to think I'm dumb or, you know, I want them to appreciate me, to think that I'm a, I'm a likable person. And this, you know, you can tell in your own life when you have to deal with somebody with great authority in your life. Maybe if you have to deal with a prof, you have to deal with a boss, you have to deal with somebody in some way who has some form of authority on you. And if you're like, you know, I better give a good impression. Oh my God, he's coming down. Oh, she's coming down. And then you obsequiously give them that good impression. 
you know, maybe you look absolutely chill and cool and amazing. Maybe you have, you're an expert at that. You're an expert at making yourself look like a likable or even a competent person. Of course, that takes a certain amount of uh, effort. I mean, it takes a lot of concentration to make yourself amenable to others or think that you're cool and smart and interesting and so forth. It, it, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know, it takes a lot of manpower to do that. <laughs> so. But ultimately, if you look at it, we may not think it's all that bad, but ultimately, it's it's a kind of behavior that is ultimately motivated by fear. If you look at it, it's, you know, these things are not really things that actually do enrich us or improve us as sons and daughters of God. When we have fear, like when we're, we're afraid of missing out somehow, afraid of a harsh judgment by others of us, fear of not really making the cut. When, when we're not really secure about our role with regards to the others, my purpose, of course it leads to insecurity. Insecurity is a form of fear. When we're ultimately just like spinning in our head about what they might say about us. Yet so often, the Lord tells us, do not be afraid. So often. It's probably one of the most yeah, repeated phrases in the whole Bible. Do not be afraid. And if he tells us that, it's because our anxieties are just not warranted. If he tells us not to be afraid, it's because there's nothing to be afraid of. He's not just saying, Okay, there's something very dangerous for you, but just don't be afraid to kill yourself anyway. It does not mean that there is no evil that will ever befall us. The Lord is not saying there is no evil that ever befall us. You'll never get hurt. Nothing wrong will ever happen to you. You're fine. I've got, I mean, I've got major insurance plan for you, so you're good. He's not saying no one will ever dislike you. He's not saying... You will never fail. He's not saying you will never have cancer. You will never be rejected. So don't be afraid. No, that's not what he says. He just says don't be afraid. Even if you have cancer. Even if you fail. Even if others think you're an idiot. Don't dislike you. Gossip about you. Really, the Lord says that all those things that could happen to us are really not the worst things that could befall us in this life. Or if they did happen, they would never destroy our value in front of God. We're like a, we're like a diamond. No matter what you do, it just you cannot even put a scratch on a diamond. As far as I know. Anyway, maybe diamonds can be scratched. What do I know? But... But really, that's what the Lord says. You are worth more than a thousand sparrows. Well, actually, he says a hundred, but still. You are worth more than a hundred sparrows. 
So why are we worth more than a hundred sparrows? Why is every hair on our head counted? Am I really afraid of the right things? Or am I afraid of ultimately of the wrong things? So it reminds us nothing, not even the most insignificant thing escapes God. Nothing in this life escapes his providence. And nothing will escape the judgment that he will mete out. And that's why we should not fear anything, ultimately. Neither persecution, nor the hardships that might come with following Christ. Nothing good we ever do will ever be unrewarded. St. Josemaria used to speak about this idea of doing things uh, in a way that we'd, we'd be able to hide and disappear. That would not, nobody would notice that we did that. You know, the way the administration sometimes cleans and, and, and does their work in a residence, you know, like the residence where I am, all these uh, rough-and-tumble residents, the, the students, they don't know who cleaned their room. They don't know who did their laundry. <laughs> They don't know who prepared the food. They have nobody to even, you know, thank. Sometimes they don't even know that somebody passed by their room and cleaned it. <coughs> you know? But none of that stuff that they did, with all the effort and all the professionalism and all the struggle it required, will go unrewarded. Nothing. And maybe we're afraid of doing stuff that will go unrewarded, that we will not be noticed, that we, you know, that we won't get any likes on our Instagram posts. You know? Because after all, who really determines the worth of something? Who determines that? Right? You know, like a, like a talent scout in Hollywood or wherever these, these guys go, they go from one place to another, they go from some bar to another, and they look for singers or good acts to see, you know, maybe I can make some money and become this guy's, uh, you know, this guy's agent. So they go to these, you know, petty little bars where there's these comedians or whatever they are, and they're thinking, is this person here, does he have talent? Does he have talent? Or does she have talent? Can she sing? Can she tell a good joke? But they see this and they think, well, I see in that person their potential money, right? a contract with Vegas, so I can make money there. The, there was this, uh, he's apparently famous, but anyway, he's a famous ventriloquist. And uh, he, for a number of years, would go from bars to bars or these places, and he had a ventriloquist act where he had a little puppet, of course, speaking, and, you know, it was a, like an act. And, and you, you know, he wouldn't move his mouth, and, you know, the, the, the puppet would speak, and it was, you know, he said jokes and stuff, and it was quite, quite good. It was, you know, it was apparently quite funny. And he would, he would speak to very small little crowds, like, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 people or something. And then one day, he went at, at, at the bar or wherever he was presenting, two people showed up. Two people. And they were, you know, in the distance, he could barely see them, but he went on with his show anyway, because he was being paid to do this, so he went on with the show, and he gave it his all, just for those two people. 
Well, it turned out that one of those people was precisely a talent scout. And he saw this guy and said, I'm going to make money with this guy. <laughs> and I don't know if he went to Britain's Got Talent or wherever he, wherever he went, but the guy became a sensation. You know? and, um, and of course, that was because the guy just did his best, and you know, even though there were only two people, and who would who known that that person would identify his value? Of course, even that scout, he was doing it because he could make money out of this guy. But God gets no income. He gets no income out of us. He gets no big contracts with Las Vegas. Our value doesn't have to do with our talents. Doesn't have to do even with our virtues or qualities. Isn't that amazing that our value... You know, we are worth more than a hundred sparrows. He counts all the hairs on our head. It's determined simply by our relationship to him because we are his sons and daughters. That's it. That's it. It's, a, it's amazing to consider the value we have in God's eyes. And we completely lose sight of that. Even though God obviously doesn't get anything out of us. He gets no prizes, he gets no recognition. Let's never forget, God is good. He is a father that watches over his children. He loves us. Even when we, we sin and separate ourselves from him. And we should have fear of God, but not the bad one, not the servile fear or the fear of punishment, but the filial fear, right? Which, uh, which is a fear that we understand that it's like a reverence, it's like a, a fear of displeasing somebody we love so much. We have that, we, are, we develop a nourishment of trust in divine providence, not a, a confidence or a building up some kind of repertoire in what others think about us. And we can ask our Lord now to really help us to be more purified and detached from what others think about us. God knows better than I could ever know. Everything that happens to me fits into His plan, His supernatural purpose for me. And that purpose is that He has left my way of acting, my way of praying, my way of speaking into my own freedom so that I can become the best version of myself. The best version of myself. And this image of hairs on my head, that he knows how many hairs, it's, it's not that the Lord has some kind of huge telescope, you know, a camera watching into the minutest details of my life, to say that he has counted all the hairs, I mean, I suppose it can, it can be this, this excessive, you know, fixation on us. But really, it's, it has to do with him being close to us, always. He is closer to us than we are to ourselves. I mean, after all, which one of us can count how many hairs we have? Well, maybe some people can, but, uh, you know, the typical bald guy knows he has... Uh, three or four hairs, but uh, 
Well, none of us knows how many hairs we have. None of us really deeply knows ourselves as much as God knows us. So he knows things about us that we might consider very unimportant, very secondary. But he knows it and he loves us. That's why we ask our, our Lord and our Blessed Mother to help us develop this, you could say, a kind of a emotional health about who we are. And a kind of happiness and an overall satisfaction in our life. Because if we don't have emotional health about ourselves and seeing ourselves, we could never truly be satisfied in this life. We would be impossible. And like so many of the lessons in life, these things, you know, we can't learn them anywhere. We, we, we just have to experience them. There's, there's no app to learn how to have true emotional health. But what one can say is that emotionally healthy people, or perhaps spiritually healthy people, have this sense of self-awareness, self-knowledge. They're able to observe themselves. They are aware when they're stressed. They are aware when they are anxious. They are aware when they're being a royal pain in the neck. And a person with that self-awareness is constantly discovering new things about herself. And getting to know herself more and more. If when we talk about ourselves, we're just placing the tape recorder and repeating what we've already said many times, maybe we haven't really investigated ourselves, or maybe we just have a very sort of standard protocol about who we really are. We haven't really discovered ourselves. Self-awareness is really the first step towards that emotional and spiritual health that we want. It's not a once-and-done activity. It's not, we cannot say, got it, did that, next. It's really the first step towards emotional and spiritual health every day. Self-knowledge. Self-awareness. And when you practice that self-awareness, you'll be able to see what habits, what beliefs serve you and which ones do not. And certainly fear does not serve us. That's why our Lord said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because it really doesn't serve you. It doesn't help you to be the best version of yourselves. How do we get to know ourselves? How do we have that self-awareness? Well, you can do so by engaging in self-reflection and self-examination on a regular basis. Like examination of conscience on a regular basis is key. And we can't come here to do the self-examination or just the examination of conscience at night and just stare blankly, you know, okay, you maybe you're sitting here, but you're maybe not really examining yourself. We must observe ourselves closely, deeply, listen to your heart, Listen to your mind, listen to your body, listen to your soul. Oh, well, we also need awareness of others. 
not just ourselves, we need emotion, awareness of others. You know, emotionally healthy, healthy people are aware of how what they do and what they say affects others. They see, okay, I said, oh, okay. I was a bit too rough here. I, I, sh I, wasn't, I shouldn't have been so, so rough. I shouldn't have mocked this thing. They're able to put themselves in the shoes of others. That's an, a, a person who's aware of the needs of others. They're able to put themselves in the shoes of others. And as a result, they are quick to recognize the needs of others. I think the Pharisees just did not recognize the needs of others at all. They were just like, you know, circuitously turning around some of the precepts and they were really afraid that somebody could fault them for not knowing something and then they would look bad and all that. That was all the hypocrisy that they were about. But they were not there about the needs of the people. Their fears and their, their, their own anxieties. You know, they say to be busy or, yeah, busy is not your friend. When we're overly busy with work and just with life, it makes you feel overwhelmed. And when you're really busy, you feel overwhelmed, feel tired, feel inadequate. You're busy, you got too many things to go, you just feel inadequate. I can't get to everything I have to do. And fear sets in. Fear. Now, if busy were a person, would you spend all day with her, you know, and then spend the next day again and tomorrow again? I don't think so. No. So, busy is not your friend. Get rid of her. It's the only person you can get rid of. <laughs> And so, you know, they say, you judge a tree by its fruits. Well, the fruits of busy is just being overwhelmed. Can't get through all this. The fruits of busy are being weary, tired, anxious, fearful, burnt out, worn out, resentful, discouraged, anxious, stressed. Stressed. Because busy is not your friend, nor is stress your friend. Hmm? I mean, which of these fruits of, you know, of busyness, of fear do you want in your life? Do you want to be worn out? Do you want resentfulness? Do you want discouragement? Do you want anxious? Which one do you want? Just kick them all out. And when asked, people ask, the, or ask this, what would... What would be one word that you would describe how you feel on a daily basis? They sent out this, you know, this sort of poll. What's one word? And the one word that came most frequently for people was overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Which means I'm busy, I'm stressed, so overwhelmed is not your friend either. But I think fewer people would say fear. But ultimately, when you're overwhelmed, that the root of being overwhelmed is the fear that you feel of not making the grade. Because fear is a bit more hidden 
but it's often there. It's kind of underneath the surface and does not lead us in the right direction. So, well, we ask our Lord now to help us not to be afraid and take heed of those words of Pope John Paul II, which he pronounced on the inaugural address that he gave in 1978, October 22nd, 1928, 1978, which he, he must have been inspired by God because he said to, he, he was only like 58 years old. I mean, he was the youngest Pope ever, or maybe not ever, but pretty young, you know. And he, he just said, non abete paura, you know, do not be afraid. And he repeated that in different ways throughout his pontificate. But when he was saying do not be afraid, he was just repeating what the Lord said. Do not be afraid. Because God knows better. He is provident. He loves you. And so, naturally, we also go to our Blessed Mother. She'll help us as well not to be afraid eh? and to launch out into the deep, eh? to the great challenges that the Lord has for us to be truly the best version of ourselves. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Thank you.